any atheist who would apply their same sense of cynicism and skepticism to their own worldview as they apply to Christianity would no longer be an atheist. Hello and welcome to the Millennial Apologist Podcast. I'm your host Nathan, and in the last episode we discussed how atheism is untenable given the evidence from thermodynamics, biology, and logic. In this episode, we're going to take a look over a few more topics which demonstrate the absurdity of atheism. We're going to start by examining the teleological argument for God's existence. The teleological argument basically states that because the parameters which allow the universe and life to exist as we see it today are so astronomically small, the most rational conclusion is that the universe was obviously created by an intelligent designer because it is too precise to be the product of randomness. Examples of these parameters include the gravitational constant, the mass of protons and electrons, the strong nuclear force, and many more. These constants are analogous to the ingredients in a recipe in that each ingredient must be perfectly measured out in order to give rise to a universe capable of being stable and supporting life. The late physicist Stephen Hawking noted in his book A Brief History of Time that the laws of science as we know them at present contain many fundamental numbers, like the size of the electric charge of the electron and the ratio of the masses of the proton and the electron. The remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. For example, if the electric charge of the electron had been only slightly different, stars either would have been unable to burn hydrogen and helium, or else they would not have exploded. Most sets of values would give rise to universes that, although they might be very beautiful, would contain no one able to wonder at that beauty. So here Stephen Hawking is recognizing that these constants are so finely tuned for life that it's quite remarkable. And now we're just going to take a look at how precise some of these constants really are. So the gravitational constant is a critically important force, which concerns the degree of attraction between objects, and its value is essential for the existence of stars. If the gravitational constant varied from its current amount, by a degree of only 1 in 10 to the 36th power, stars could not exist to support life. To put that into perspective, here's an analogy. Imagine that a ruler existed which stretched the entire length of the observable universe, which is over 90 billion light years long. This ruler represents the range of possible values that the gravitational constant could be. Now pretend just one of the inch lines in that ruler was specially marked. The chance of you correctly guessing which inch line is specially marked is exponentially greater than the chance that the gravitational constant would have its current value without intelligent design. Hypothetically, if you were even one inch off of your guess, then the difference in the gravitational force would be detrimental and life could not exist in the universe. So that's pretty crazy, right? Would you bet your life at guessing an inch mark that was specifically marked on that ruler? I would not. And so that is just one of the constants that are so finely tuned uh, that it makes philosophers wonder. Another very delicate constant is the expansion rate of the universe. 
It should be noted that thousands of years before mankind knew that the universe was expanding, the Bible already mentioned this fact in the multiple verses which state that God stretches out the heavens. And this can be seen in Job 9.8, Psalm 104.2, Isaiah 40.22, etc. The Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy notes the following. The expansion rate of the universe is represented by the cosmological constant. If the cosmological constant were slightly greater, there would be no energy sources, such as stars. If it were slightly less, the Big Bang would have quickly led to a big crunch in which the universe collapsed back onto itself. For life to be possible, the cosmological constant cannot vary more than one part in 10 to the 53rd power. To put that into perspective, imagine if I told you that you have just one chance at guessing a number between 1 and 100,000 million, 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 million. The odds that you would guess that number correctly are the same odds that the cosmological constant arrived at its current value by chance. So just let that sink in. Those numbers are astronomically huge. Nobody in their right mind would bet on odds that great. Yet, atheists are betting their eternity on a chance like that. Nobody would bet their entire life savings or even their life on a chance like that. Yet, people are betting their eternities on this. And if that's you, I'm begging you to reconsider and to reevaluate the evidence. The Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy also records that theoretical physicist Lee Smolin estimates that when all of the fine-tuning examples are considered, the chance of stars existing in the universe is 1 in 10 to the 229th power. Uh, Lee Smolin stated that, in my opinion, a probability this tiny is not something we can let go unexplained. Luck will certainly not do here. We need some rational explanation of how something this unlikely turned out to be the case. And aside from physical constants of our universe, there are also plenty of other variables which have to be perfect in order for life to exist on our planet, such as the size of our sun, the distance between the sun and earth, the amount of water on our planet, the movement of planets in our galaxy, etc. So when all of these variables are taken together, the odds are greatly, greatly against atheism. The teleological argument is one of the most impressive evidences for God's existence, and as such, it is constantly brought up by high-ranking Christian apologists. It is so strong, in fact, that deceased atheist Christopher Hitchens, when casually talking to Christian apologist Doug Wilson, admitted the following. At some point, certainly, we all asked, well, which is the best argument you've yet come up against from the other side? And I think every one of us picks the fine-tuning one. Now, I want to apologize for the quality of audio in that video. It appears that it was recorded in a car and it was raining outside, so there was a lot of background noise. Christopher Hitchens was one of the most famous atheists in modern times, and uh, instead of following the overwhelming evidence and concluding that the universe was intelligently designed, atheists end up resorting to fairy tales and their desperate attempt to avoid the obvious reality of God's existence. Because betting against odds such as 1 in 10 to the 36th power or 1 in 10 to the 53rd power would be stupid and irresponsible, atheists have invented an imaginary idea 
known as the multiverse. See, the standard definition of the word universe is all existing matter and space, right? Everything that exists in nature. However, in order to make the universe seem less special than it truly is, atheists have come up with the idea that there are many universes. Some even claim that there is an infinite number of universes, and that these universes may be constantly popping into and out of existence. Just like our universe consists of multiple galaxies, proponents of the multiverse hypothesis claim that the multiverse is made up of multiple universes. Apparently, then, the standard definition of universe no longer applies to this unscientific hypothesis, seeing as it posits that matter and space do happen to exist outside of our universe in these other universes. The atheist thinking is this. If there is only one universe, then there is no possible way that all of these physical variables were just right by chance alone. So if we say that there are an infinite number of universes, then the odds become more likely that one of these universes would eventually contain the parameters necessary for life. If the chance of the universe having all of these constants just right is 1 in 10 to the 229th power, then if there happen to exist 10 to the 229th power of universes, hypothetically, one of these universes would happen to beat the odds, and we just so happen to be living in the luckiest universe ever, where life is possible. We just so happen to hit the jackpot, because even though there are trillions upon trillions of universes that exist, which cannot support life, we just so happen to land in the infinitesimally small percentage of universes that can support life. The best part of the multiverse hypothesis is that there is absolutely no scientific evidence for it whatsoever. None. The multiverse only exists in the minds of atheists who are willing to do anything in order to deny God's existence. The multiverse is kind of like a supernatural, natural explanation for our universe's existence. It's supernatural because it apparently all of these universes exist outside of our universe, um, but it's a natural cause because all these other universes are just unintelligent conglomerations of space and matter. So it's basically the atheist's way to explain away God's existence. And just like the Pharisees witnessed Jesus perform miracles yet still chose to reject him, these people also choose to deny God's existence no matter what evidence they are faced with. Believe it or not, Paul predicted this would happen in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when he stated the following. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now listen to this ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul here says that in the end times, there will be people who are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that truth he's talking about is the truth of God. And what's so ironic is that 
the mainstream scientific community, yeah, they have PhDs, they have hundreds of thousands of dollars in education and decades of education and research, but they have failed. Many of them have failed to come to the truth about God, which is the most important truth one can embrace. So even though somebody might hold multiple PhDs and know a lot more than everybody else on topics such as physics, biology, or anything else, they have missed the most important truth that they could embrace, which is that God loves them and has provided a way for atonement for their sin. Instead of accepting the most logical conclusion based on the evidence, which is that our universe was intelligently designed, atheists resort to fairy tales in order to appease their desire to cease any retention of God in their knowledge. The teleological argument is an absolute death blow to atheism, which is why they had to invent the crazy idea of the multiverse in order to fool themselves into thinking that they are justified in their naturalism. But as noted earlier, there is no scientific evidence for this multiverse. They will scoff at Christians for believing in God, which there actually is plenty of great evidence for, which we've already covered in this podcast, yet they will blindly accept an imaginary idea known as the multiverse without any evidence. And that's why any atheist who would apply their same sense of cynicism and skepticism to their own worldview as they apply to Christianity would no longer be an atheist. The only way someone can maintain their atheism is by being extremely biased. And you see this, they'll mock Christians at believing in God, yet they believe that life came from non-life, matter came from non-matter, and that there are an infinite amount of universes, and they believe these things by blind faith, yet they are so committed to their philosophical belief of atheism and their denial of God that they will not question these great flaws that are present in their worldview. And I also want to mention a quote by Richard Dawkins about the multiverse. Uh, now, there was a video recording of him saying this. It used to be on YouTube. It was since taken down. Um, I'm sure it can be found in other places, but uh, this is what the quote said. So this is Richard Dawkins talking about the multiverse and about needing an explanation as to why our universe just so happens to be able to support life. Here it is. We could only be living in the kind of universe which is capable of giving rise to us. So the fact that we are observing anything at all means that we are in that kind of universe. Now, some physicists stop there and say, end of story, because we are here, we, in a sense, create the necessity for the laws of physics that make it possible to be here. I agree with those who don't find that totally satisfying. Philosopher John Leslie expresses his dissatisfaction with it by imagining a man facing a firing squad, and there are 10 men in the firing squad, and they all aim their rifles at him. The rifles all go off, and he finds himself still alive. And so he says to himself, Well, obviously the rifles all missed, because otherwise I wouldn't be here. But that leaves unexplained why the rifles all missed. You still feel you need an explanation for why they all missed. And Dawkins is completely right. We do need an explanation why we just so happen to live in a universe, which as far as we know is the only universe that exists, that has these parameters so tight and so delicate, and they just so happen to hit the correct numbers that life could be supported. So now that we covered the teleological argument a little bit, I want to talk about the topic of morality now. 
Though this does not disprove atheism in the logical sense, it is a devastating conclusion that if atheism were true, there would be no basis for morality. Just like atheism provides no basis for trusting human reasoning, as discussed in the last episode, the fact that atheism provides no basis for morality is also classified under presuppositional apologetics. Because presuppositional apologetics basically assumes a worldview is true and then dissects its own coherency by looking at the consequences it would have if it were true, it is a very powerful tool to examine the validity of certain beliefs. What I mean when I say atheism fails to provide any basis for morality is that if atheism was true, then you could not legitimately label anything as inherently wrong. You would be unable to justify any position of right or wrong, because if atheism is true, we are all just randomly evolved bags of chemicals. If there is no God, there is no afterlife, and every living thing is just a clump of molecules in motion, then there is literally no reason why your personal views on morality are any more legitimate than that of Hitler's, or even that of animals such as chimps and dogs. Since atheism posits that both you and Hitler have brains that were not designed for any intentional purpose, and your thoughts are ultimately the byproduct of atoms bouncing around, you cannot logically call Hitler's morality wrong and your morality right, because you are both on even playing fields when it comes to the realm of morality. When this reality is brought up, the common atheist response is to say, hey, I don't have a desire to murder anybody. Look at atheists aren't going around killing people and stealing in the world, so this argument doesn't make any sense. But when they say that, they are not dealing with the issue at hand. They are failing to adequately address what the argument is. The argument doesn't say that atheists can't be immoral. The argument says there is no basis for calling anything moral in the atheist worldview. As a Christian, I can call things right or wrong based on what God says is right or wrong. But the atheist has no standard for which to label things right or wrong. So sure, according to the Christian view of morality, an atheist can appear to be moral if they don't kill or steal or lie. But when they're doing these things, according to their own worldview, it means nothing because they're just molecules in motion. So it doesn't even make sense to call murder wrong because there is no standard of right or wrong. And I would point out too that the Bible does mention that God has written on humanity's heart the law of his morality in Romans chapter 2. And that's why cultures throughout the world have laws against murder and rape and theft and all sorts of crimes and sins because God's law is written on their hearts and we as Christians acknowledge that. And so we know that that's why atheists generally don't go around murdering and destroying people. However, they cannot give an adequate reason as to why these things would be wrong in the first place. And the irony is that so many atheists love to spew out their disdain for the God of the Bible and his morality. For example, Richard Dawkins, as just mentioned, famously wrote that the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, 
filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Wow, that's quite a mouthful of an insult there, but this statement demonstrates that Richard Dawkins has failed to think critically about his own position. He curses Yahweh for the violence commanded in the Old Testament against wicked nations such as the Canaanites, but his disbelief in God results in a worldview in which he has absolutely no justification for labeling God as immoral. Murder, rape, theft, assault, and every other crime you can think of cannot be labeled as wrong if atheism is true because we're all just chemicals which have resulted from the unintelligent process of macroevolution. In order to label any action as inherently right or wrong, God has to exist. Let me explain why. As human beings, we can propose all sorts of arguments as to why some things are right and some things are wrong. But at the end of the day, we are all just imperfect, finite beings who possess limited knowledge. Because of this, we may be convinced to label certain acts as right, even though they may be wrong, and vice versa. For example, hundreds of years ago, slavery was thought to be morally acceptable by the majority of Americans, but now it is labeled as a gross violation of human rights by the majority of Americans. Likewise, a large group of people in Germany in the 1900s believed it was morally right to exterminate people for being Jewish. However, we all recognize this as being morally wrong. So a question to ponder is, what makes your modern view of morality any better than the view of morality held by the Nazis or held by Americans who endorsed slavery hundreds of years ago? In the atheist universe, there is no answer to that question because there is nothing that makes your morality better than the Nazis because we are all on level playing fields if atheism is true and we are all the product of blind chance. The only way we can know right and wrong is by what God tells us. Though this is a simple statement, it is valid because unlike human beings, God is an all-knowing being who created the universe and therefore has dominion over it. Hence, if God labels something as wrong, then we have no choice but to accept his decree because as puny mortals with limited knowledge, we are in no position to question the creator of the universe concerning the topic of morality. The Bible tells us that God knows everything and that his nature is perfect. Because Christians believe God is holy and good and he cannot lie, Christians are maintaining logical coherency when they say certain acts are wrong because God says they are wrong, such as murder. If two Christians were arguing about whether or not murder is wrong, the debate would be settled instantly by bringing up the multiple verses in the Bible which declare murder to be morally wrong. However, if two atheists were debating whether or not murder was wrong, none of them could logically justify their position because it would just be one bag of chemicals babbling with another bag of chemicals. After watching many debates on the topic of morality, something I've noticed is that many atheists fail to see the reality of their own worldview. They usually define the word morally right to mean decreasing suffering and encouraging human flourishing. However, in the big picture of things, there's absolutely no reason that something is morally right if it decreases suffering, because in their universe, suffering is simply a chemical reaction which takes place in the bodies of animals, which they believe are randomly evolved chemicals. Furthermore, why is human flourishing inherently right or good? In the Christian worldview, 
We don't want people to suffer and die because they are made in God's image and we want them to accept the gospel and be a light in this world for others. In the atheist worldview, however, one could even make a strong case that humans are a problem for the world and that we should let other animals flourish by exterminating our own species. There are plenty of other examples and analogies that could be brought up, but I think we've covered the topic of morality very well and it has been adequately demonstrated that if atheism were true, you could not have any justification for labeling anything as morally right or wrong. Hence, whenever an atheist shows fervent passion toward any political or theological subject, they are being inconsistent in their worldview. If an atheist were to get mad at somebody for robbing them, they would be being logically inconsistent because in their universe, there is nothing inherently wrong with robbery. Just as a belief in atheism naturally disintegrates any foundation for morality and logic, the sad truth of the matter is that it also destroys any objective foundation for meaning as well. It's quite an obvious conclusion that if every human being is just an assemblage of matter and there is no god or afterlife, then there's also no meaning to life. Sure, you can try to create your own meaning, just like you can try to create your own morality, but in the end, it is simply a subjective decision which has no real value. The meaning of your life is therefore no more valuable than the meaning of a spider's life or any other animal's life. If atheism was true, your existence is no more valuable than a plant or a rock either. In the atheist universe, after all, you and the rock are both just elements. You just so happen to have consciousness, but there's nothing intrinsically special about that. So if atheism were true, you are no more valuable than the sand on the beach. Hence, an intellectually honest atheist will naturally be a nihilist, which is a term used for one who believes there is no meaning to life. The great irony is that the world will try to convince you that God doesn't exist, yet they are disturbed at the reality of school shootings, adolescent suicide, and mental health struggles such as major depression. As we've just seen though, the atheist cannot justify labeling any of these actions as wrong or tragic. What's even worse is that the increasing prevalence of instances like these are only expected if people lose any sense of meaning for their life, which is a natural step after one accepts the atheist worldview. To demonstrate this reality, I'm now going to play a clip of the famous astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson when he was asked by a young boy what the meaning of life is. His response is as follows. So, so what is the meaning of life? I think people ask that question on the assumption that meaning is something you can look for and then, oh, I found it. Here's the meaning, here's what it is. I've been looking for it, okay? And it doesn't consider the possibility that maybe meaning in life is something that you create, you manufacture for yourself and for others. And so when I think of meaning in life, I ask, uh, have I learned something today that I didn't know yesterday? Bringing me a little closer to knowing all that can be known in the universe, just a little closer, however far away all the knowledge sits, I'm a little closer. If I live a day and I don't know a little more that day than the day before, I think I wasted that day. So the people who at the end of the school year say, this summer I don't have to think anymore, I'm thinking, 
Though Neil provided a poetic answer to the kid's question, he ultimately demonstrates what the atheist worldview concludes, which is that there is no meaning to life. If you can find your own meaning or just create your own meaning, then that means it is not objective. If the meaning of life is not objective, then there is no ultimate meaning to your life. Atheism posits that you are just an unimpressive glob of chemical goo, and even if you were to do something on Earth, that would get your name in all of the history books. It ultimately doesn't matter, because eventually everyone will die, Earth will cease to exist, and the universe will succumb to its inevitable ultimate heat death when life itself will be impossible. This is truly a sad and pathetic outcome of atheism, and I pity those who are going through this because I myself was once an atheist who thought deep about things and I myself came to these logical conclusions. I've got some great news for you though. The Christian worldview does provide objective meaning to every human being's life. Because God is an all-knowing being and we are just simple mortals, whatever God says is the meaning of life is the meaning of life. Jesus provided the universal meaning of life when he said this beautiful statement. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So, according to atheism, there is no meaning to life, and even if you were to invent a cure for cancer, it ultimately doesn't matter, because everyone will eventually die, and the universe will eventually cease to exist, due to the ultimate heat death that is inevitably coming. However, according to Christianity, the meaning of life is to love and glorify God and then also love your neighbor as yourself. And that is amazing. That is what has propelled the West to its success. Uh, and unfortunately, we are now losing that mindset in the West and we're seeing the crumbling of our society before our very eyes. Though this is a great outcome of Christianity, the best part is you don't have to fool yourself into believing in Christianity because it makes you feel good or gives you a sense of meaning in life. The best part is that you can believe in Christianity because it's true. Accepting Christianity's truth is the most humbling yet most freeing thing one can do. It's humbling because you understand that by your actions, you are a failure who deserves eternal punishment because of your sin but it's freeing because you recognize that God loves you so much. He died for you and entered his creation as the man, Jesus Christ, to pull you out of your mess. This is exactly what Jesus meant when he said that you shall seek the truth and the truth shall set you free. So if you're listening to this podcast and you have not yet submitted yourself to Jesus Christ, I beg you, the evidence is slapping you in the face. Accept it. 
accept Jesus' free gift of eternal life and his payment for your sins by his crucifixion on the cross, accept that he rose from the dead three days later and you will be eternally adopted by God. And that is all we have for today's episode of Atheism Debunked Part 2. I'll be releasing Part 3 pretty soon here, and then we'll transition to another topic, because after three full episodes dealing exclusively with atheism, you'll have plenty of information which demonstrates what a delusion it is. Thank you all for listening. Have a good one.